You're listening to the Association Mashup. Explorations at the intersection of technology and culture. Hosted by Maddie Grant, culture designer at Propel. And Rick Bauckham, CEO and founder Hello and welcome back to the Association Mashup, Explorations at the Intersection of Technology and Culture. I am so excited today, Maddie, to have our guest, uh, Tori Miller-Lou. She is legendary in the technology and association space. I'm so excited to have her with us today. Welcome, Tori. Uh, for those of you who don't know Tori, she's uh, got awards all over the place. I think the one that uh, most recent is the 40 under 40, if I recall as well. She's also an uh, ASAE Next Gen winner, an association technology all-star and a young and aspiring professional in the association space. So welcome, Tori. We're so excited about having you here on our uh, association mashup. Thank you. It's nice yeah, also to be referred awesome. to as young. You. <laughs> 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 I don't feel young. Nobody refers to me that way anymore, yeah. Tori. So take it while you can. While young you at heart, Rick. Young at heart. <laughs> exactly. So I think we start off with, you know, today's topic is to talk about the intersection of of culture and technology, and I know Tori, you're pretty passionate about talking about the tech stack and and its impact on culture, where that leads us, uh, and certainly it's a conversation we have at Tech Council and all the gatherings that we have. So I think you know starting off might be interesting to get your perspective on what is the tech stack and and what is it that we need to kind of bring up as its cultural dimensions in the world that you live in at ASHA. Yeah. So my definition of the technology stack is the assortment of tools, uh, products, software that you use to run your association. Um, and that could be every, anything from a SaaS-based product like Google Docs, if you're using that, to um, your association management system. And I think in a lot of instances, tech stack can even include the laptops that you're using, hardware, um, things like that. So it kind of depends on the association. At ASHA, we tend to focus mainly on enterprise software products, SaaS products, and also custom software products, applications that we've built. And that's what we include in our overall tech stack. Actually, Tori, can you um, can you give a like a two sentence summary of what ASHA is for our listeners? Oh yeah, like sure. Like size and you know how many staff you have, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so the American Speech Language Hearing Association is a national, professional, scientific, and credentialing association. We represent two hundred and eighteen thousand members and affiliates who are audiologists, speech language pathologists, uh, academics, researchers, and students. Um, we are based in Rockville, Maryland. We also have a DC office, uh, and we have about 300 staff right now. So the the tech stack to me uh, is all of those things that you just said, uh, Tori. And I, 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 you know, the intersection around people, process, technology mm -hmm. is kind of to me the bigger picture, because uh, to me the tech stack is all of those things plus, you know, what people do we need to run it in? People always intersects with culture, doesn't it, Maddie? Yeah, well, of course. And then I think the the big thing these days is the whole digital aspect of it too, right? So not only do you have your your traditional tech stack, but you've layered on top of that um, like software and web and all the stuff that people use and their their phones and you know all of that as well, um, which they're actually using for work, not just 
personally, right? During the pandemic, uh, certainly tech has been a big um, catalyst, if you will. So what what products are we seeing out there that are uh, that are changing the game, uh, both culturally and you know in the tech stack? What are you, what are you guys seeing there? To me, I, I think the game changers have obviously software related to virtual events has completely exploded. I, I mean, how to, I don't think it's an understatement to say that virtual events and event technology has had a bit of a renaissance period this last two years. Um, the other segment that I've seen a real uh, movement towards is just collaboration technology, uh, the development of it, the increased usage of it. Um, at, at ASHA alone, I think we had probably had about 70% of staff sort of using Microsoft Teams pre-pandemic. And then after the pandemic, I have 95, 94% usage rate right now. Um, so it, yeah. it's it's not just like kind of a thing that people have to do. It's now intrinsic in our culture, the way we interact with each other, the way we get work done. It, it's fascinating to see that huge sea change that's happened. Is it fair to think that we're a Zoom culture now? I know, you know, we, I certainly spend a lot of time on these things. I know you guys do as well. It, do, it did change the game in terms of how we were able to interact with each other uh, because five years ago, we probably couldn't have had the same sort of collaborative uh, framework that we've been able to do without a Zoom. I'm not a big fan of the Zoom meetings back to back all day long either. Yeah, I feel like we need like a pro con list because pro, I think Zoom and Teams meetings have been an equalizer in a lot of ways. It's it's allowed collaboration for folks who may have found it challenging to get to the office because of commute or childcare or what have you. Um, I think it's also helped with productivity. Our project managers at ASHA love Teams meetings and Zoom meetings because now people aren't struggling to see the project plan on a giant projector in, in our national office. They're, everyone can interact at the same time on the same file. They can look at it on a, their second monitor. It's great. Um, the cons, though, I think Zoom fatigue is a real thing. Uh, the eye strain on folks, the... The, the fact that we're probably spending way too much time in meetings. Um, I also, my friend Catherine Matthews and I were chatting about the, the her theory is that folks actually have um, decreased capacity to listen now because we're, we're now so used to Zoom calls that you, 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 it's so easy to just multitask, right? It's not offensive because I have a second monitor here. I'm like pulling up documents and it's useful because I'm contributing, but I'm also probably focused more on the thing that I'm about to say next, as opposed to what the person's seeing or their body language or empathizing with what they're saying. So I do worry that it's changing the way we communicate. I don't know if it's necessarily better or worse, but it definitely feels like a change in the way we're collaborating. What do you guys think? Am I over? Am I overstating that? I don't want to be like the boy who cries wolf, but no, I definitely, definitely agree with that. I think I, I think we don't even know yet exactly how much of an impact this is going to have on you know how we collaborate and communicate. And if you think about kids, you know, doing remote school, you know, who are mm-hmm. like their little brains are de- being developed right now, and they've gone through this period of Zoom classes, like. 
it's going to be fascinating and hopefully not awful <laughs> to see like what it's what it's done to them. <laughs> You know. yeah, the, the jury's certainly out on whether or not it's good or bad. And I, you know, the, the other dynamics that come in, I mean, people are leaving their jobs at rates that are incredible. Now that I, I saw the stats this morning, actually, we've now got the second month in a row of the great resignation. And, you know, what's causing that? Is it, is it, where does the technology and the culture factor into all of that? Are people leaving because they love the zoom environment and that's how they want to work? Or are they leaving, be, you know, because of it, because there's too much of it? I don't know. I or think the jury's are out. they also leaving because, I, you know, the, in all those articles about the great resignation, they're talking about the shift in power to the employee, um, that employees mm-hmm. now have an expectation for freedom and autonomy that they probably didn't have pre-pandemic. So my other kind of up at night issue is I'm worried that our approach to technology is too rigid, that it's not affording people the freedom that they actually expect to be able to do their jobs. Um, and and the other side of that is, do they have too much freedom? Because we have policies against folks just randomly downloading software and just you know using software and entering member data without data processing agreements in place and all that, but it doesn't mean people don't do it. And so they're picking software on their own without the involvement of IT to get their job done. So now I'm in this awkward position where as CIO, do I stop that and actively go after the folks that are doing that and say, you know, you're violating policy. That's not what we do. Do I foster it because we're more productive in that environment? Do I like, I don't know, create create a box and I'm like, Hey, you can color what, use what other other, like crayon color you want. Just stay within the lines of the box. And I I don't know. I I feel like it's a, it's a, that for me is a game changer. The democratization of technology coupled with the pandemic has, has put me at least in kind of a strange spot when it comes to governance around technology and the tech stack. Well, and that's actually a perfect, perfect example of how technology and culture intersect, right? Because what you're describing is not really a technology issue. It's it's more around um, risk management. It's around you know maybe supervision. It's around um, uh, privacy and security. You know, there's all these issues that are under your purview as an IT person, as a CIO, right? But now all of a sudden, you know, there are aspects that are positive of people finding software that can work for them. So, I mean, your questions are exactly right. Like, how do you figure out like which, you know, how how loose or how rigid to be? Um, And I think personally, as someone who sees a lot of, organizations grappling with this, um, I always go back to what makes you the organization most and, and your employees most successful. And in, in answering that question is where you find, you know, the line um, between the two extremes. Yeah, I think that goes to the, how are we shaping this digital workspace, right? Workplace, workspace, workforce, 
are all the things that are in flux, right? I mean, I think we're all struggling with that because, Tori, I probably more than you come from a legacy of kind of command and control IT infrastructure, right? So, you know, we, bit up, we put a box around it and tell you, you got to live in this box. And I think that is dramatically disrupted and changed uh, for good or ill. I'm not sure exactly whether or not we know what how that's going to turn out but we do know that we've the cat's out of the bag we have changed we've now proven that you don't necessarily have to be in an office to be productive i think would you agree yeah i mean certainly from my team yeah i i do think um i still feel like in-person collaboration is important when it comes to problem solving or creative thinking exercises but my my team is made up of software developers, network service professionals. I mean, they, they are more effective when they're at home and they can focus and they can have calls with our internal stakeholders without distraction. It's, so yeah, yeah, that that's a challenge. I also think in another part of this that Rick, I think, is flying in the face of that old command control model. Sorry to call you old. I didn't mean to. Um, but no is, is this low code, no code stuff? Because I do, I do actually have staff that have reached out and said, I want to start using Power Automate in Microsoft, which is kind of it. I'm not going to go so far to say you're building your own application, but you're building your own workflow. And you're, you can do so without involving IT. Um, because they have a lot of like off-the-shelf solutions that'll help you have Excel, talk to SharePoint, talk to Outlook. Um, and I don't, that's a part that I don't quite know what to do. I know Accenture in their 2020 or 2021 Tech Vision report, they named democratization of technology as a trend. And they also encourage forward-thinking enterprises to train staff to take advantage of low-code technology. I don't know if our staff is quite there yet from a technology maturity standpoint, or if, if we even need to get there, if that's, if that's advancing our mission and our service to our members. But I, I do wonder if associations are going to have to start grappling with that, that not only can people pick and start using technology without the involvement of IT, they can even develop technology in some cases without IT involvement. Yeah. There's a whole movement around citizen developers, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. That's kind of what they're calling them. So, yeah. yeah. And I would and, say you absolutely need to address it because if you have one person asking you about it, that means you have 10 people doing it without talking to you about <laughs> it. Right? Maybe. I mean, th this, <laughs> this was like a systems person in one of our business units. But yeah, it, no, it's definitely possible. Pe people are sure, but handy. The I actually wonder, um, as you were describing that, I wonder if the first step is um, just some transparency around it. So like a regular meeting where people could share the ideas that they've come across or things that they might want to do um, without it sounding like you have to give them permission because that's not really what it would be about. But but just getting a sense of, you know, how can we learn from each other, you know, some good efficiencies, basically, in how we're doing our work that might benefit the organization. We have talked um, about, it's in the early stages, but putting together 
a product catalog of approved software that you can use. And you can basically like just shop in the catalog and it'll give you a use case, help you find it, help you find the subject matter experts um, on staff who can talk to you about it. Yeah. So it's in the very, very early stages, but I think that would be that's probably you know, that's a that's a great idea because it provides some some boundaries, right, or some guidelines, but also provides for experimentation and you know autonomy in terms of what the individual people might want to look at. Um, and I think those are the the best kind of solutions that that actually have both. So it's not like the complete wild west where everybody's allowed to try everything. Yeah. But at the same yeah. time, you're you're tapping into this natural these days desire to to experiment with different software. It's very much um, the, the analogy that I used before because I, I have kids under five, so I, I'm constantly reverting to like Sesame Street. But um, I want to. I, I feel like the right path for Asha, at least, is. I give people a coloring book, but then they can choose whatever color crayons they want to use. They can, as long as they stay in the line, you pick your colors and have fun. Um, Where before, I mean, when I started in IT, like Rick, it was, here's the coloring book. Here are the crayons you are going to use. I will train you how to use the coloring book and how to color and how much pressure to apply with your crayon. Like it was much more command and control um it's like one of those what are those number things you paint by numbers yeah (laughs) exactly exactly yeah and you can only you can only be painting big bird or whatever it's you know it's very very restrictive you know if you bring it back to the tech stack that we live in as association professionals and technology people the you know we're in a best of breed environment at least in my on my framing uh, that we have all of these applications that are kind of, you know, we've got our AMSs and LMSs and CMSs and fill in the blanks. And I, from my perspective, it doesn't feel like they all work together mm. so well. So uh, what I think I hear you saying, Tori, is that we need to define a space, um, perhaps a catalog of things that do work well mm-hmm. together and pick pick from those things, right, to do your workflow, whatever works for you, but picked from those things, which is a little bit of command and control, but it's a nod towards, uh, you know, we've at least done something to make sure this stuff works well together. Uh, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? I 100% agree. And we did establish, um, we have a very large product catalog, which is probably too large, but every year we talk to teams about what are the product qualities that ASHA is looking for. And one of the big ones is, is it interoperable? And I think we're getting to the point where I, I might almost change that to, is it API first? Are you able to integrate it with hopefully middleware, which we're implementing right now, but other systems too? Or is it on its own and you're collecting incredibly valuable data that doesn't go anywhere and doesn't do anyone else anyone any good except you? So I think, um, yeah, I think integration is going to be key. And then I also think we need to start training staff to have some ownership of over the other standards that we need to adhere to with products, whether it's usability, um, quality, uh, PCI, HIPAA. I think people need to be aware of data privacy laws, of um, PCI, payment card industry standards. So if, if, I guess, basically, if you want to pick your own color to color with, you 
need to have some of the ownership over adhering to these standards that, to Maddie's earlier point, will mitigate risk for ASHA as a whole. Um, I don't think it's a good idea if people are just given whatever crayons out of the box they want, but they bear no responsibility for adhering to those standards and protecting the organization as a whole. So what I hear is that there ought to be uh, a core around things like maybe transactional Mm -hmm. stuff or security that we probably ought to keep a little bit of command and control around. Uh, But maybe how you get a document from one place to the next might be a little looser in terms of how that happens because you're defining your own workflow. But yeah, that's an interesting concept to me. There are certainly things that we all have to do in risk and compliance and those things for sure. And uh, the I, I don't know that just the Wild West around citizen developers yeah. uh, works in that space. Especially <laughs> with member data. I mean, yeah, Rick, to your point, I think if it's, that's a wonderful point, that if it's financial transaction, I still think we probably need to lock that down to a degree. But um, if you're using member data, which almost all of our staff are in some way, I really think they need to be very aware of GDPR and the data privacy laws yeah, that we're adhering to. I don't think you you can run the risk of ha- allowing people to just ignore that and just say, well, you know, I just wanted to like host this one event. So I, I collected all the data on all these people and I sent it to this vendor that we don't have a data processing agreement with like that. You, we can't do that. That's, we have to protect one of our most valuable assets, which is member data. Yeah. So how do you guys handle, so I've not met an association that wasn't resource constrained in IT, (laughs) not enough people. Uh, So I'm wondering a bit about how you address this, um, this grand vision of a catalog of things you can choose from. How do you vet those things? How do you go through that process of saying, yeah, this, this works or it doesn't in our environment and it's okay to use because most of the IT folks that I meet are, um, pretty busy just trying to keep the lights on. So the the one-off things that people are picking, I, most of the time that's kind of retroactively going back and saying, hey, you can't use Google Docs. We're, we are not a Google shop. We do not use Google for business. Um, but for the products, the official products that we're picking, we do have a very formal way of identifying which projects we're going to do and managing those through a, a, a project management office, which is our Office of Business Excellence. Um, and so when those products are getting selected, it's a cross-departmental team picking them, which almost always involves someone from my team um, that's looking at it from a security perspective and a data privacy perspective. Um, and then I'm looking at it just from an overall, like how is this going to fit in the overall ecosystem? Is it redundant with other systems? Is it somehow going to jeopardize another project. Um, so I'm trying to look at like the overall puzzle while things are getting selected before it gets to implementation. Um, I don't know if that totally answered the question, but that's how we do it through projects for the, for the staff that are just like, Hey, I need a way to like, I don't know, have a polling software on this WordPress site. It, I usually, unfortunately, find out about that, like after the fact, and then it's a great opportunity to just educate someone. Cause I do, believe people always approach that stuff with good intentions. We're all just trying to serve member needs. So I never approach those conversations from a standpoint of, I'm going to like slap you on the wrist. That's, that's not productive. Um, but it's a great opportunity to teach them about data privacy. 
You mentioned usability earlier, um, and I I feel like a lot of the basic reason people look for alternative ways of doing things is either because something is um, super difficult to do currently, um, or just slow, or there's red tape. So uh, you know, all of those things are are. Um, it's like the whole idea of shadow IT, right? Mm-hmm. The reason people have their own little databases and spreadsheets and stuff and don't use the the ones you're supposed to use, you know, is because it's faster, for example. Um, and I wonder if usability and just speed of access, maybe, um, if that's changing to become more important and more of a priority because it's so easy, quote unquote, for people to to come up with their own solutions. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. No, it, 100%. I think the tolerance for clunky products is minuscule these days. I mean, people just don't have the patience, <laughs> and nor should they. I mean, the expectation is that you have a, a usable, high-performance system that doesn't have downtime, that doesn't have load time, the interface is easy to navigate, to learn. Um, The way that I'm trying to get ahead of that is I do meet, we touch base with every one of our departments um, at least once a year, usually in the fall. We actually, we start in August and it takes us into January to meet with that many groups. Um, And we do technology road mapping meetings with them. And we go through their entire tech stack that they use for that individual unit and ask them how things are going. So it it really is a a very proactive way of reaching out to folks and saying, hey, you're using Smartsheet. Is it still working for you? If not, why? So I'm trying to get ahead of that. So it's that people aren't getting into a situation where they're so frustrated, they feel like they've been ignored by IT, that they're not getting help, and they just go off and get a software on their own and implement it on their own. So hopefully, I, I think we've been we've been doing that now for three or four years, and I think we're kind of we've pretty much moved away from that point, that kind of culture of frustration where I don't I don't want people to make technology decisions out of frustration. I want them to be making technology decisions collaboratively and um, as part of that larger ecosystem. Yeah, I think this is where the culture part of it comes in in my head. The you know the people have different styles, right? Uh, it, you know, some people are visual, some people are auditory, some people are introverts like me. So the you know the pandemic has not been a particularly disruptive thing for me because I'm kind of an introvert and like it, you know, talking on the screen like this. But for others, it's it's way uh, disruptive for them because they need that kind of interaction. But I, you know, the classic, I I was in this conversation this morning with a a client, a big client, 250 people in their organization. uh, And they're still having the Mac versus PC conversation. Why does that matter anymore? Yeah, why does that matter? (laughs) That's interesting. And and why would it, it, you know, why would it even exist now? But so, I mean, it's a personal preference. Somebody wants a Mac, they are more comfortable with that interface. Other people want a PC. But I think you run into those same kinds of things um, with the way workflows work. Do you use Smartsheet or do you use, yeah. you know, those kinds of things. The tool selections are, in many cases, a function of personal preference. Um, and we d- People want to work the way we they're We don't have it down perfectly either because we have a, 
a section of our staff that love Zoom and we have a section of our staff that love Teams. And as a just as a staff person, I can't tell you how frustrating it is to jump from Zoom and Teams throughout my day. My favorite days, I, I mean, back-to-back meetings are hard anyway, but my favorite days are when everything's in Teams and I can just hit join over and over again. I don't have to enter a passcode. <laughs> um, that, that's great. It, that jumping back and forth, I don't think people realize what cognitive dissonance that creates that I get so used to teams and now you're expecting me to like, remember how to react in zoom and like chat in zoom. It's just, it's not productive. Speaking of which, I was on a go-to meeting the other what? day and I was like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, I can't remember how to do this anymore. Like all the buttons are in different places compared to zoom. What was it like time traveling? <laughs> no, it was so weird, but it just like, everybody used to be on go-to oh, meeting yeah. and then it just went away. Like, I mean, I'm sure it hasn't gone away. But, but yeah, it's crazy how quickly just Zoom and Teams actually took over yeah. compared to everything else. WebEx as well. Like, I haven't been on a WebEx in a while. No. <laughs> well, that's a that's a good pivot into what do we expect from? Because I mean, if you're Microsoft or you're, uh, you know, any of the big vendors, they're all trying to figure out what we what we want. You know, so what are what do we expect from our vendors in this space to accommodate these new uh, these new cultures that we're building around distributed workforce, distributed workplace, maybe even citizen developers and those? What are we what are we going to ask our vendors to do in the association space in particular? Because that's where we live. I mean, if one of just one of them could figure out document collaboration, that would be a win. <laughs> But the funny thing is, I think some of the things like document collaboration, that was a pain point before the pandemic. And all it did was emphasize how terrible document collaboration options are. Um, yeah, we're yeah. we're actually res- thinking about resorting by going back to SharePoint for document collaboration in higher logic. So sorry not to call out a product, but you know, like if anyone could figure that out, that would be a huge win. I, I really think the vendors would do well to take a look at the the changing cultures of associations and their membership and those new expectations and try to shift their R&D dollars to that shifting expectation around virtual events, around greater collaboration, around greater equity so that your boards aren't just stacked with a bunch of highly tenured, experienced people, but how do we get younger folks involved in leadership roles? How do we get diversity in our leadership? Um, those are the kind of things that I feel like vendors can help with. So I, I personally get frustrated when I hear vendors talking about, you know, oh, we found a new way for you to like process payments. That's important, but I, there's this like softer stuff that we need help with. Yeah. I agree with you a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, so you know the I guess they would answer the question that hey we gave you Zoom, we gave you Teams, we gave you SharePoint, those sorts of things, which I think are you know they're certainly at progress. Uh, I can remember a time when we couldn't collaborate you know together at the same time in a document, you know, not all that long yeah. ago, uh, and I'm not entirely sure it's a great big move forward because I still get emails with version two underscore R-O-B, you know. <laughs> There's a training opportunity. I Cause we need, we need to do yeah. that with our staff too about don't, att- you shouldn't have in your network, 
you know, staff to staff, you should not be attaching copies of documents. Send a link to wherever that is on SharePoint. Um, I know sometimes there are reasons to do that, but I feel like they're few and far between these days. Well, and it's like email too. Um, we we um, researched a, a an organization that doesn't do internal email at all. What really? Yeah, they only um, they only use their project management software. It wasn't Teams; it was something else. Um, but yeah, they only email with external people. Interesting. That is interesting. How do you live without email? I don't. You know, it sounds like maybe, maybe we should try it. Maybe we should try it. Life without email. That seems you like you can a, do it with Slack, right? Uh, you can do it with Teams. Yeah. I'm sure they don't have. Yeah. Well, yeah, you can do it with Teams. Yep, that's we good. do sure. have a problem right now where um, multiple staff have complained to me about not being able to f- remember where a conversation took place, and there's the. You know, there's not really universal search in, in Office 365, so it's it's really challenging to remember. Was it that an email? Was that like a document you sent me? Was that a Teams message? So it would be interesting to just say, "Hey, email is only for external communications. Otherwise, it's going to be in Teams." Yeah, so I, you know, I'm married to a communications expert, so uh, you know, the the thing that always occurs to me is we ought to have you know, some norms around this stuff. And Maddie, this is in your wheelhouse about, because I think that's an excellent idea. I've never seen anybody really follow through with that. What what do we expect to be included in emails or not? And how do you reach somebody on short notice? And how do you communicate with them and say, get to this when you can? Because it's kind of all over the board right now. Yeah. And I think that's super, super important as we're talking about, you know, coming back into the office for some groups, hint, hint. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But just, you know, every, every organization will be different, but having that conversation to decide like which meetings are better, you know, on Zoom, which ones are better in person, which communications are better through email, which are better in person, (laughs) you know, or, or through Slack or Teams or some sort of more um, quick, um, like text-based kind of um, engine, you know, there's all of this stuff is changing and changing really quickly, but that doesn't mean we can't just stop and define for ourselves at this point in time, you know, how we can change so that we're doing our work better and more effectively, you know. How do you balance that, though, Maddie, with that concept around giving employees freedom to choose how they work? So from our perspective, it's around um, what we would call cultural priorities. And so, um, for example, if if you have a really strong cultural priority around information sharing and you want everybody to have access if they need it to the work that everybody is doing, right? So SharePoint is a good example. Um, then you can allow people to, to meet how they want and um, kind of create the work how they want. But then meeting notes could be in, you know, always in SharePoint and visible to everybody um, obviously within reason, but by default visible to everybody. Um, and 
so that there's a just a general kind of flow of information and and this is not something we're used to doing like you might have 10 million documents in sharepoint but i'm not going to go look at them <laughs> right but if we build a culture where where we expect that information flow is much more easily accessible um you know then you can you can allow for lots of differences in how people create that information but then mm. you know the artifacts the notes the summaries you know it doesn't need all the detail but just the the bits that would be interesting to the organization as a whole can be found in you know one specific area for hmm. example but that yeah, I know in our example sorry just to, to close the loop that example is based on information sharing being a priority that is important because it's good for the organization okay. right not because like we, we wouldn't want all this information sharing to slow everything down because there's just too many meetings yeah. and too many notes and too many everything. You know what I mean? So you have to be very clear about it. Hmm, I like that. Yeah. In our culture, we've, we've always been distributed. We've never, we've never had an office. We're only a dozen people. So we're not, you can't compare us to some of the associations, but just some simple constructs like we have a daily huddle. 15 minutes, it borrows from agile development methodology of the standup, right? And uh, I, you know, being the CEO kind of was always the hub of conversations going on. So I thought everybody was communicating all the time. Just this simple construct of a daily huddle of 15 minutes has improved our communication dramatically because people get in, they say, here's what I'm working on that's critical to everybody or that you might want to know about. Here's where I'm stuck and here's, you know what I'm doing next. So just that 15 minutes a day, my team has told me has been transformational in terms of the way. And it's, it's not technology. Yeah. It's not, you know, we do it on zoom, <clears throat> but it's a pretty simple construct. And that's where the, I think it's where the, we can overdo it on the technology piece of it in terms of the culture impact. And some of the, sometimes it's just simple. Let's talk to each other. Let's, you know, let's time box it for 15 minutes. I also but, like that you gave it structure um, too, so that people aren't temp I feel like people default to, let me just tell you everything that's on my to-do list. And that's not really that helpful. What's helpful is how does it impact other people? What are you stuck on? My team, we do it on a weekly basis because we don't really have the capacity to do it every day. And we do um, priorities, positives, and pain points. And you don't have to do everything. You don't have to hit all three buckets, but um, it kind of helps structure the conversation a little bit. I like that. Yeah. And I know, Maddie, you guys are working with a lot of people in that space to kind of institute that. The Well, yeah. Maddie and I both had this shorthand about the Rockefeller habits, but, you know, it's, it's uh, OKRs. There's a lot of different names for it, but that's been transformational for, for us. I think the... You know, we still have a tendency to structure our workspace around kind of the industrial models, mm -hmm. right? We still try to inputs next to outputs and, you know, all of that stuff. And I, and my brain always goes back to the Six Sigma models of, you know, manufacturing. Well, we're not, we got to get used to being more asynchronous, I think, uh, in, in uh, these distributed models where maybe we need a 15 minute a day touch point and that's it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know. So we're on 40 minutes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> that flew by. <laughs> so yes, I think we should probably wrap it up. Um, 
And we always want to end with a key takeaway from each person. So um, Tori, give us your key takeaway for today. I think you guys have really flesh, helped me flesh out that idea of what what parameters we need to set around the tech stack and how do we marry that with our culture and um, allow people the freedom to choose how they work, but do it in a way that doesn't present risk to the organization and its members. So that I think um, the, the weird coloring book analogy is probably my biggest takeaway and you guys really helped me flesh out that idea. So thank you. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Rick, what's yours? So the takeaway for me is that the tech stack is bigger than the tech, mm-hmm. right? It's not about blinking lights and, and uh, you know, spinning disk drives or whatever. I don't guess they spin anymore. They're all digital, <laughs> right? But, uh, you know, it's bigger than that. It's people, it's process, it's technology, it's culture. All of those things are really our tech stack. And that's what, I mean, because the, the, the value stream is how do we create and support productivity and job satisfaction and those things with our workforce uh, because that workforce is certainly changing. Uh, the pandemic's just accelerated it. Um, yeah. Again, we're back to the two months in a row of the great resignation and we better get our act together. Right. So for me, it's actually um, similarly to Tori, it's just the, this idea that um, constraints can actually allow for more experimentation and more innovation um, but within boundaries, right? Um, so just like you were saying, you can you can help to allow for more experimentation by putting in some guardrails, um, which sounds counterintuitive, but actually works really, really well. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, I think we are done for today. But thank you so much, Tori, for joining us. This is a Pleasure. really great conversation. This was fun. I'm super excited. Tori, thank you this so great. much. Thank you so much, guys. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. If you like this conversation, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast platform. And please share it with your friends. And visit us at symmetry.com and propelnow.co.